What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. Before I come across the table and rip Barry's throat out. Kevin Sherrington. I'm going to say to you what you said to me a while ago. Shut up. Barry Horn. I'm going to bring milk and cookies next week. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the Rangers. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Rangers Ballsy with a Z podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome in to the Rangers Ballsy podcast. I think we already said that. It's it's October. The Rangers aren't playing anymore. I know, but it's it's always Rangers season in my mind, Barry. And we've got a we've got a World Series to talk about. The Cleveland Chicago World Series. Cleveland Chicago World Series. Indians it, Cubs. The, you know what the, the you know what, here's the upshot for the Rangers after all of this. You know what's going to be the deal after all of this is over and done with? No, tell me. Uh, Nick, as of next week, they will have the second longest drought of any franchise uh, without a World Series title, because the Cubs haven't won since '08, the Indians haven't won since '48. One of them is going to come off of the list, uh, and, and so the Rangers will then be second behind the loser, uh, followed by the uh, followed by the Astros. So the state of Texas will have basically will be a, well represented on that list. <laughs> we'll be we'll have a hundred seasons of baseball futility here. Um, All right, so we have. Let me ask you this: we have the we have the Cubs, mm-hmm. we have the Indians. What can the Rangers learn? This is how, this is the question you wrote for me to ask you, so I'm going to ask it to you. What can the Rangers learn from both those clubs? Well, you know, two things that stand out for me are one, obviously, the Kyle Hendricks storyline of a guy that the Rangers traded to Chicago for Ryan Dempster in 2012, and it just makes the 2000 the the last two months of 2012 look that much more disastrous because not only did they give 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 away Kyle Hendricks in that deal, they also ended up blowing a huge division lead, and I think that left the, the this franchise with with a real mark. All right, now sicken everybody, <clears throat> sicken our listeners even a little more. What did the Rangers get in return? They got Ryan Dempster in the Kyle Hendricks deal. And, you know, I, I, I let, let me say this. I don't think that there is anybody at the time who looked at Kyle Hendricks and said, this is a guy who's going to start game six of an LCS and, and take a team to the, to do, the World Series. Do you series. think Theo Epstein did? Uh, no, I think Theo Epstein was trying to acquire talent and was trying to – uh, tear down what had been a, a a club that had missed out in 2003 and, and and had been on a continual downhill pattern and was trying to gather as much talent as he possibly could. Um, I do think this, you know, Hendricks, Hendricks is a guy who's not necessarily a velocity guy. Right. And those guys, I think, are undervalued by by a lot of clubs. And I think at that point in time, he was undervalued by the Rangers. Um, the fact that he wasn't going to light up guns uh, made them feel like he wasn't going to be able to compete, particularly in the American League. But what I saw on Saturday, and, and you know, our old friend Phil Rogers mentioned this during the game on, on Twitter about him being the least emotional Cub, 
And, and you watched him come off the mound. You watched him pitch. He did pitch completely without emotion, completely bloodless. Uh, and that is the kind of approach you've got to have in the big leagues. I mean, do you remember, is he the player that the Cubs wanted in that trade? Uh I do not recall. I, I know that that trade came together in basically the last 15 minutes okay. uh, before the deadline. Um, I believe that, that there had Atlanta had made a bid for Dempster and, and failed, and then it was put together. And so, um, you know, the fact that it wasn't a deal that the Rangers spent a whole lot of time on, that the two teams spent a whole lot of time on, I think that uh, it wasn't a guy that the Cubs had targeted per se. I, I think it was a guy that the Cubs said, "All right, we don't have any deal on the table right now. What can we do to to simply acquire talent?" And and what you have to do again, if you look at both of these teams and their pitching staffs, you acquire as much talent as you possibly can and let it kind of grow. So you just throw are you throwing paint balloons against the wall. You're you know you're 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 looking for certain things, but I don't think any uh, you you don't you don't sit here and say okay, our pitcher has to fit X profile. I, I think you just you simply look for talent and you look for traits. Um, this is a Cubs team that got Jake Arrieta, you know, uh, for for nothing for for Scott from, Feldman from Baltimore. I think for Scott Feldman. Uh, this is a team that that uh, certainly they went out and made a couple of free agent acquisitions in Lackey and Lester, two guys that Theo Epstein uh, had a whole lot of familiarity with. But in, in Arietta and in Hendricks, these were, were younger pitchers that this team acquired uh, and, and, and two guys who were clearly um, undervalued. Well, as long, as long as you're bringing up pitchers with Dallas or Texas ties, Arietta does, <clears throat> Excuse me, it's from Plano. Plano played at Plano East. Uh, what about the the other pitcher the Rangers traded to the Cubs? Uh, would it have been the following year for Matt Garza? Would that be Edwards? Well, I, yeah, I, that I, I I believe in 2013 they traded in getting both Giovanni Soto and uh, Matt, Matt Garza, Garza. They sent the Cubs Justin Grimm and C.J. Edwards. Right. So and, again, that's a, that's a case of the Cubs just a you know. Valuing pitching, collecting pitching, and both those guys have have played roles for the. Cubs. But wouldn't it be hypocritical? For, I know it'd be hypocritical for me to sit here and say that I thought that those were bad trades at the time because I thought the Rangers are close. They're looking for another pitcher, and this could be the guy. Uh, Dempster Dempster was an experienced guy who had been with some playoff teams, and and uh, there was there was some thought that you know he gave you some depth. Uh, and certainly there was there was no thought that you were giving up a guy right. who was going to lead the National League in ERA and Kyle Hendricks. Uh, the Garza deal, uh, given given the fact that, that Matt had uh, – I was not a huge fan of the Garza deal at the time. Um, I just didn't think – you know, he had, he had run off six really good starts before the stretch, and I think the Rangers bet on that. They had liked him a little bit when he was drafted, and there was and some of that personnel was still in in the inner circle there. But I was not a huge fan of the acquisition of Matt Garza. Um, and in retrospect, you know they they gave up. You're right. They gave up more talent. Um, the other lesson for me on this World Series is you look at both these teams and and you look at what they acquired and how they used them at the trade deadline. The Cubs acquired a role as Chapman. The Indians, more particularly, acquired Andrew Miller, and and they they they've used that closer 
the sixth inning. They used him in the, the eighth inning. They've used him whenever they needed to and have gotten huge, huge outs for him. Now, that is all set up by the fact that their starting pitchers have kept them in the games, okay? Their starting pitchers kept Cleveland in the games, and it allowed Terry Francona, I think, to set the tone for the whole playoff series by going to Miller for the whole postseason by going to Miller so early in game one against Boston, uh, stealing that win and putting the putting the Red Sox on the on the defensive. And I think that the, the Indians have just um uh just rolled that up. And you know, I the, the Indians didn't get Jonathan Lucroy, but they ended up with Andrew Miller. And I think he uh, obviously they they ended up in a better situation. Well, and, and it's interesting because for the, this year, for this year, I mean, the Rangers addressed the need that they desperately need, and Jonathan Lucroy has played really well. But but you look right now, and the Indians are are in the World Series. Let me bring up another player we we, we didn't even discuss, and you didn't even tell me to ask this question. I'm going to ask you the question anyway about Mike Napoli in Cleveland and the effect he's had on that team. Mike Napoli's a winner. Um, he has learned from some of of the biggest, uh, not biggest, the, some of the guys who I. Uh, Whose whose character as baseball players I value most. You know, he was in was in L.A. with guys like Tim Salmon and and Garrett Anderson and 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 Vladimir Guerrero. He was here with Michael Young and Adrian Beltre, and and he really really had a close relationship with Michael Young. And then he went to Boston and was with Pedroia and 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 David Ross and and uh, Ortiz and and that whole group. Um, and the Rangers had a the Rangers had a decision to make this offseason, which was do they try and trade Mitch Moreland uh, going into a year in free agency and sign Napoli to play first base, or do they hold on to Moreland and and you know walk away from Napoli unless they they are able to move some other money? And I I was uh, I was not uh, I, I thought that they should have brought Mike Napoli back. I thought they should have found a way to bring Mike Napoli back. I, uh, Mitch Moreland had had something of a resurgence last year, but didn't play well in the playoffs uh, in 2015. And he's ha- had a hard time staying healthy. And he's never really put together that – he's never put together a 30-home run season. He's never he's never put together a 100-RBI season. Um I just thought that, that Napoli's presence and the ability of him to balance the lineup out a little bit more would pay some dividends. The The flip side is Mitch was considered a, a significantly better defender at first base than, than Napoli was. But I know what Mike meant to this team when they acquired him last August. I, I, I look back now and I see that for some reason Mike Napoli is playing in the World Series with his third different team. And I think that's there's some circumstance there, but I also think Mike's played a big part. Would you like to see him back here next year? Is it is that possible? I I, I think it's possible, and I think that uh, I'd always like to see him back here because Moreland is going to leave in free agency this year. I can't see the Rangers bringing him back. Uh, Who would and, be interested in him? Uh, have you had time? To Pittsburgh look at that? has always had an interest in him, and and you know when Moreland came up, Clint Hurdle was the hitting coach with the Rangers. And so I think there's some thought that that that, that they would would connect really well. Um, I've heard Colorado before, uh, and, and maybe the National League would be a better place for him. The National League seems to be more of a of a fastball oriented league, and so if he gets in, you know, if he gets more fastballs, he's going to have an opportunity to do some more damage. I I, I just think that 
you know, where the Rangers are and what their needs are, which are pitching, center field, uh, and, and first base, that they've got the most ability to replace a first baseman internally, whether it's with a platoon of Joey Gallo and Ryan Rua, or whether they, they consider the uh, the possibility of moving Jerickson Profar to play first base full-time as a switch hitter. They've got the ability to put in a put a piece in place there. They also have a need for a DH, and that comes down to do you re-sign Carlos Beltran or could you go out and get Mike Napoli as an insurance policy at first base and also to be your primary right your primary DH? So I, I think there's some possibility there, and I would really like to see him back because I think at this point in time in his career and how he has grown as a player, he is a he is a glue type guy in the clubhouse. I think they have a, a everybody's a glue. Almost seems to me like everybody we talk they've, to they've talk got, about as a glue type guy. They've got they've got a really good clubhouse. Um, uh, but if if they don't bring Beltron back, then they lose one of those type of guys. If they don't bring Desmond back, they lose one of those type of guys. So you've got I think you you could certainly use somebody else to pair with Adrian Beltre. Um, and I just look at. I look at the influence I think Napoli could have on a guy like Joey Gallo. Um, he's not going to change his swing. Joey's going to have to change his swing. But I do think that Mike could have an impact on Gallo in terms of how he approaches his job every day and the outlook he's got every day. What would it cost to bring him back? Signed a one-year deal for $7 million with Cleveland. He's going to be – he's 34 now. I Eight, nine, somewhere in there. That's all. I mean, that's all. I, 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 that would be my guess. I mean, I don't think that he's at a stage where he's going to get long-term contracts. I think he's going to have to take one or two-year deals, and I, I, I could see that. Especially, he's enjoyed his time here. Right. He's fit, he 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 fit in really well here. I, he liked it here. I, I could see that as a possibility. Let me put you on the spot. I'm always on the spot. You're on the spot. All right, give me, go around the infield and the outfield starting day uh, in 2017 Rangers lineup. Uh, just def- not the lineup. Just just tell me what they look. First base. First base. Uh, I, I think that it will be they're playing Cleveland. Cleveland will start Kluber. It'll be Ryan Rua. Second base. Second base. It's a given. Will be Rugnet Odor. Shortstop. Shortstop, uh, that it's a little bit more interesting Ooh. question than you would think. Elvis is coming off of a career year. You wonder, do you see with Profar there if you could trade Elvis and get some pitching back? But I still think on the trade market that Profar, given how can you know that he's controllable for multiple for the next three years, and that he is more inexpensive than than Elvis in terms of salary. And that he's younger with more with potentially more upside. I think Profar, even though I believe he's lost some value, I think he'd still be more valuable than Elvis on the trade market. So the shortstop will be Elvis. Okay, I'm not even asking third base, left field. Left field will be can't be Ryan Rua because you have him at first base. Left field will be uh, no more Mazzara. Center field Carlos Gomez. Right field Sinchichu. Behind the plate Luke Ryan. Okay. And, and the st- opening day pitcher will be? Uh, the opening day pitcher will be, I, I you know, I think what the, on the opening day pitcher, I think it's it's obviously either Hamels or Darvish. Uh, yeah. It's a coin flip. 
based on and you, I you, you told me who the who the Indians opening day pitcher is already. Well, well, I mean that's that's a definitive. I mean Corey Kluber is their ace. They've got other guys. The Rangers have two guys who are who are competitive aces. And I think what will happen is Jeff Bannister is going to look at that first 10, 15 days and match out where he may want to have lefty versus righty uh, and, in, in a matchup. And so. you're and you're saying it will be? Uh, I'll go with Hamels. Okay. And here, here's a guy we haven't mentioned. We haven't mentioned his name. Derek Holland. Is, is he going to be on the roster? This is, this is a really interesting question. He's got an $11 million option, which is a very affordable – it's in a club option for Pocket $11 change. million with a $1.5 million buyout. So – the Rangers are are, are committed. Uh, in in retrospect, he, he, not in retrospect. In further review, the full outlay for Derek Holland would be an additional nine point five million dollars over what they've already committed. So nine point five million dollars for a middle or three or four starter for a championship club. You'd be happy. It's to very pay. affordable. The, the The question I've got about Derek Holland is: we've seen significant drop in his velocity uh, with two shoulder injuries over the past two years. I think there is some concern that that shoulder uh, could be a chronic issue if he doesn't change his delivery a little bit and if he doesn't start throwing more change-ups. And the Rangers have some more intimate knowledge of that than, than the free agent, than, than the rest of, of baseball does. So do they sit back and say, we're not going to pick up the option. We'll pay you the buyout, okay? You, we'll get you the buyout, and we'll give you $7 million up front with some with with some incentives that will allow you to make more than the eleven million dollars you could have made uh, in some total this for two thousand seventeen, but it's kind of a shared risk type deal. And would Holland then be amenable to that, or would he try and go out on the market and shop that? Uh, I think that that for me, all my available dollars first have to go to try and making a long term deal with Darvish, and and that will dictate. Some of what I do with Holland. Um, what would it cost to have Darvish here? I think you're looking at six years and close to $200 million. You know, it, 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 that, it's that kind of outlay. We talked about this last week on the show. It's, it's, it's a significant outlay. Um, it would be, if the, it, certainly if the, if the stadium vote passes, and I expect it will, uh, and the Rangers see a $500 million influx in cash and, and incentives, uh, and, and the value of this team goes up, it certainly would be a nice reinvestment tool back into the club. And I think that, you know, if he gets the free agency, um, you, you're not going to re-sign him. I just think the market's going to go too high. Uh, and and But I think now you could strike first, and I think but, you could get a deal done. How high could the market go? Uh, you're, you're saying $200 million? What was uh, keep David Price is over $30 million. Yeah. Uh, How many years? Uh, Seven, eight. Uh, what was Price's contract? No, gosh. no, but what, I, I think what for, for Darvish. I think for Darvish, you're looking at six years and, and over thirty million dollars per year. You know, I, I just think that's where the market is right now. David Price's deal is seven years, two hundred and seventeen million dollars. So it's thirty million dollars a year. Thirty-one million. Thirty-one million dollars a year. So if you gave Darvish thirty-two for six. With maybe an opt-out clause after two or three, would that would that do it? Especially given the fact that I don't I don't know I, I you know I don't know either you know I don't know what uh, I I don't know how the union would look at that because the union will have a big a, a big part in it. I don't know if Darvish thinks that he can 
he can go from 31 because this this year's free agent market of pitching is not going to move the needle. Nobody, there's no high profile free agent. It's not going to move the needle uh, for uh, for free agency. So I think you're going you're going to go into next year still looking at uh, 31 million dollars being basically the benchmark, the record benchmark, <laughs> and. and- you you're around him. You're in the clubhouse. Does he like it? Does he like it here? Does he, or, or does he want to get out? Would he want to get out? No, I think he likes it here. But I, I I also think he's a businessman. I mean, geez, he came from Japan to the United States. It's not like going. But didn't from, he come here just to try to prove? Uh, forget about the money for a second, which we can never forget. He about. came here to be the best pitcher in Major ba- League Baseball. Right. Um, and and I don't think I don't think it matters to him whether he's the best pitcher in Major League Baseball with. The uh, with the Texas Rangers or with the Seattle Mariners. Um, Does he want to be in, a, in New York or in L.A. or is he that kind of guy? I, I don't. I. I don't. I mean, to me, the New York or L.A. thing it comes down to this: is there, is there some kind of cultural thing for a for a Japanese or Asian pitcher because there's bigger Asian communities? I don't know that he spends a whole lot of time out in the community. No, but 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 it's to to be the star in New York, to be the star in L.A. The second part of that is endorsements and extra money. I don't know that he wants to be. He's already a rock star in Japan. I mean, he is Michael Jordan in Japan. He is. Uh, who is the most omnipresent athlete in the United States now? Uh, somebody in the NBA. Do you LeBron. Want LeBron. LeBron, maybe. So I I mean he is LeBron James in in Japan and I don't think where he pitches is going to significantly impact that. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to be the the Michael Jordan. Of if the he United goes States. let's say he goes to New York and, and and the Yankees still have Tanaka, he and Tanaka are going to be competing basically for for high for for profile there. I think. All right, let me change the subject real quick. The same thing with the Dodgers. Just, they, they've got they've got Maeda. Just something, something that came came across my mind, and, and you're going to look at me like I'm crazy. I've heard this. People are because the way the Rangers season ended, everybody's second guessing everything. Mike Maddox, did they miss him, the old pitching coach. I, I, I think that's narrative. I think Mike, uh, I think Mike had an impact. I also think that, by and large, you know, coaches have a lifespan with their voice of reaching guys in an organization five years, six years. Mike was here seven years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, did a good job in, in, in Washington this year, but I don't know that he had a great uh, rapport with Darvish. I don't know that he had a great rapport with, with Derek Holland. I think one of the things that the Rangers did with Doug Brocale bringing him in was their intent was to make Derek Holland more aggressive, tougher. I think that they felt like, like he might, um, respond to that approach more than he did to Mike's kind of cerebral uh, study the book. You know, I I think if, if I was comparing the two, I think Mike's pr- approach is he studies and he works his butt off on, on learning video, tendencies, mechanics, all of that. And then he comes to the pitcher and says, this is what I want you to do. And that's where, that, and, and, and then there's not a great explanation as to why. And I think today's athlete more and more, um, wants to know why. I do think that Doug Brocale is more willing to have an open discussion about it. And I, I think So I, your answer is no. I don't think it would have made a measurable difference. I mean 
Holland he, he went Holland missed three months with an injury. Colby missed three months with an injury. Was great before he went down and was not very good when he was rushed back. Darvish was great, you know, after the Tommy John surgery. Hamels was great until the last month of the year. Where what would he have done? Would he have made Martin Perez a a three point five zero ERA pitcher? I don't know that I see that. How about with the bullpen? I I think they both listen. I I think that both guys, um, both guys spent a lot of time in their career in the bullpen. Both of them know what it was like to be both a fringe guy and and on the edge. And I think in the bullpen coaches that they had, Andy Hawkins, and now Brad Holman, they've got they've got good guys who came up through the system. I don't think it would have made a huge difference. And I do think that by the end of the year. The Rangers' bullpen was deeper. The Rangers' bullpen pitched great in the postseason. You, you know, it, it dawns upon me, I, I didn't ask you the most important question when, when we went around first base, second base. Who's the closer opening day? The closer opening day is Sam Dyson. There's no reason for Dyson to lose the job right now. Um, if he doesn't pitch well, Matt Bush is sitting there. And um, I will say this. Matt Bush pitched a lot after he came up May 13th. Uh, he had never pitched in the big leagues before. Dyson's pitched a lot over the next two years, over the last yes. two years. There's no guarantee that either one of those guys is going to be healthy, much in the way that Sean Tolleson and, and Keone Kellis struggled this year. But as of right now, you go into the season with the possibility. I think they go into next year with a deeper bullpen than they went into in 2015, and they thought going into 2015 – that their bullpen was going to be a real asset. I think their bullpen is deeper now than it was a year ago. Is Tolleson part of that bullpen? Interesting question because he's arbitration eligible. You know, he didn't pitch well this year. Um, I think I think the Rangers will decline to tender him a contract and will try and re-sign him at a little bit lower figure. And Diekman? Deekman's definitely back and definitely in what role? He's going to be the the left-handed setup guy without a doubt, you know, unless he goes to unless he goes to spring training and completely uh demonstrates a lack of ability to con- command the strike zone. But I I I think I've got this bizarre theory on Jake Deekman that you know, if you look back at his numbers and when everything got skewed, it was middle of August, okay? Mm-hmm. The appearance before Everything really went haywire was at Colorado. Colorado can screw up a guy's head because the ball doesn't do what you want it to do. The ball doesn't move the way you want it to do. I think it's entirely possible that subconsciously he came back from that outing in Colorado, wasn't happy with how his ball was moving, tried to put a little bit more on it, got too far crossbody, and just couldn't make the adjustment back. And I think that's why I think some time off uh, will potentially will potentially help him. I realize that that may be a the ultimate small sample grab at some straw in the some straw, but the guy was lights out until that point, and I, I think he will. I think he will get it back. All right. So, where another bizarre uh, out of left field question? Rangers have what it takes to win the division next year. Um. Who, or I'll ask you this, who would be the most important newcomer on, on, on this team? Who will make an impact that we're not even 
thinking about right now that you are thinking about? I don't know that I'm thinking about that guy because I, to me, you know, you've got to Napoli. You've got to get. You have got to deepen your starting pool. I, I think this this was this was shown from from the middle of June uh, really on that they they were thin at, at starting pitcher. You certainly don't know that you can count on Holland. I don't think you can count on AJ Griffin. Though I'm, I'm I'd welcome them back as part of the pool. Right. Uh, I, I think that that if you can go out and acquire in some creative fashion a number three starter to go behind Darvish and Hamels, I think then you make a difference because I do think Cleveland. I think Houston is going to be better better next year. I think Seattle is an improved team. I think the Angels, if they're smart, will tear down a bunch of what they have and will go into a rebuilding process. But is I, there anything there that the Rangers could use in L.A.? Sure, there's stuff that they could use, but I don't know that the Angels are going to part with it, and I don't know that. that well, the, of, of, of not not of their core, but right. Of, of, I, I, and I don't know that there's I don't know that there's pitchers there that that are healthy and that would be that would be available. So, um, and and it's gonna you're gonna have to pay a premium price uh, in, in dealing with the Angels anyway. The the bigger question for me would be, can you revisit a Sunny Gray deal with with Oakland? Do you have enough? Would would could you trade Gallo and Profar now for Sunny Gray? Would you trade Gallo and Profar now for Sonny Gray? Would you? Um, me personally, yeah. Because I have a man crush on Sonny Gray. You would. yes, yes, I would. Uh, but I also, I also want to the the seeing the other side of this. I I will say this: go back and look at the playoffs, and look at what wins in playoff games. Pitch great starting pitching, and home run power. Guys who who hit a mistake from a great starting pitcher, and 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 drive it into the stands. So and Gallo, so you think could be that guy? Gallo could be that guy. But on the other hand, you know, Gray's the kind of guy, guy who, who could be the other guy, right? So, um, that would be something for me. I don't think there's any possibility that they get Chris Sale. I do think they'll revisit some conversations with Chicago, see if the White Sox would be more amenable to moving Jose Quintana. But I just don't see those deals out there. I think it is going to be. A, even more than it was at the trade deadline, I think it's going to be a seller's market. And the most important question I can ask before we wrap this up, Dak or Tony against against uh, Cleveland? There's no question there. It's going to be Dak against Cleveland. Okay. Well, it's going to be Dak against Philadelphia. And I No, no, I didn't say that. I, Dak, I, I, we're talking Cleveland the week after. The week after. I, 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 will, I will say this. Here's what I will say. I will say it will be... Dak against Cleveland, and I'm going to say that it will be Dak throwing out the first pitch against Cleveland on opening day next year as the oh. representative of the Super Bowl. Oh, my gosh. We're not going to say winners. We're going to say the Super Bowl competing Cowboys. Is that on the record? Yeah. Or is that, was, that, was that off the I'm record? I'm going to say that the Cowboys make the Super Bowl this year. I'm not guaranteeing that they win, but I—, I after watching the NFL for the first six weeks, I, I think that they make the. Super and will the Rangers be playing the World Series champions on open opening day? I have not gotten any playoff series right except for the Cubs beating the Giants. All right, so in tell. The all right, so give us so everybody can run it, rush out, and take and take the other side. I uh, am going to go with the Cleveland Indians. So the so the Cubs win. The Cubs so will Cubs, win. But Cubs I am picking Cleveland, and here's why: I just think that that 
They've got they've got a, a bullpen that has been unbelievable in the postseason. They've got uh, they and, and they've got they've got something going for them right now, and they've got home field advantage. And one other thing that for me that stands out is again the National League is more of a fastball league. You've got to pitch with off speed stuff more often in the American League, and if you if you make mistakes with your fastball in the American League. Teams are going to punish you. I think the Indians will jump on some mistakes from the from the Cubs. Okay, so I have the Cubs. I'm taking the Cubs. Okay, and when we get together next week, will the series be over by by then? Uh, no, I think the series. How many games? I think the series will be coming back to Cleveland. So I'm not sure six, six? or seven, but it, it's going to come back to Cleveland. Well, this this has been a rare treat to have a. This has been we've had a guest today. We didn't have to pay. We didn't have to give an appearance fee to two guests. Kevin Sherrington and Evan Grant. It's it's been, it's been very special. I know I know the people, the bean counters, uh, who send out the checks will be very happy. What I what I really enjoy about today, Barry, is the fact that early on there was some tension. I, I ignored you. I, I didn't give you enough because you had your head time. in the newspaper the entire time. I, I guess so. I was trying to be very well prepared for Kevin on the college podcast and. And I didn't and, see and you. I, and I was signaling I you. I didn't see you gesticulating wildly over there. Um, so I apologize I'm, for I'm, that. I'm going to accept the apology because um, I'm a big man. But I do think that after that rough and tense start, we have, we've made up and we're friends again. But I will never forgive you for what you said during during the podcast. That Kevin's my, my hero as, as fathers and husbands go. Yeah. I've, I've, got, I've got one married off who's an attorney. You've got another attorney. one getting married. Well, another so one get... getting. Kevin is so far behind me in, in this. In this, it's, it's unbelievable. So, so you you are you are due ma- many Mazel Tovs. You and Kevin. The the reason that we do the podcast together is mostly because I just admire you two as people. But you admire him more. Somebody's got to be the. Somebody's got to. That's be the best, unbelievable. Barry. That's thank you. I think Doug, take us out. I I, I got to go. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.